Hi, this is Marlene, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Whether you're watching a video or listening to a podcast, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. Links to videos or MP3 files can be found on MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Go to MarlenePardo.com for information on new book releases. I narrate several podcast series that can be found on major podcast platforms and can also be listened to via Alexa, Sonos, and other home systems. Look for Supernatural Storytime for scary storytelling, Nightshade Diary for classic horror and adventure stories, Stories of the Supernatural for interviews with different guests on the show. If you want to get noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, you can visit Strange Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com or find us on Blogspot. I want to thank you for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. How's everybody doing? Well, today we've got a great show going on, all right? A fantastic show going on. Um, for those of you, uh, like I was telling you, right now I'm into my Halloween decorative mode because it's, well, today, even though this show is going to be a little bit staggered, um, it's we're going into October. My birthday's in October, Halloween. Um, last year, Halloween kind of got like sidelined totally. So I'm into decorating a little bit. And like I said, I don't know if I mentioned it in last week's show. Um, I got these, uh, Grim Reaper kind of decorations, but they're, they're cheap, but they're, for some reason, you know how sometimes cheap translates into good because when you hang them, they've got this fuzzy drapery thing. And I've got like a little gazebo tent out in front of my house and, and I hung them there and they're like, basically they are tall enough when you hang them with that stuff that they look real. And that afternoon that I put them up, I had left, I was running an errand and I get a phone call from my neighbor. And she's like, you've, you've got two strangers on your doorstep and they're all wearing black. I think one of them wearing a phone and you know, I'm that moment. I'm not thinking, I just hung up Halloween decorations. I'm like, what? She wears glasses and she's across the street, you know, where we live. The, the It's not like a regular residential area where areas are, are compressed. It's a little bit further away. So, and for a minute, I was like, what? And then all of a sudden I said, wait a minute, all black? I said, that's Halloween decorations. She was like, what? She goes, oh, you know, I'm going blind. She was like, it was very sweet of her. And right then her husband had gotten home and he started laughing. He was rolling on the ground because... So for being cheap Hollywood decorations, but anyway, yeah, that's what I'm into right now. Um, you know, getting, you know, it, it's weird. Like I said, because remember I was born and raised in Miami in subtropical weather. And it's weird that, um, now, even though I did spend part of the last winter here, up here, but it's different when you're settled down and you're that, that last year was a crazy one where you're going into local, um, uh, stores around here and they're pulling out the wood, you know, these cords of wood, you know, and you're like, huh? So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm 
learning my way around like hey you know that means the cold weather's coming in and sure enough it's been dropping down into the 60s at night and i know for some of you that's like that's not it's but you know for somebody that's used to 80 degree weather most of the year that's like it's going out into the 60s at night it's only september but yeah but that's what i'm dealing with and uh yeah uh crazy stuff like that uh getting ready basically for the holiday season and then and i've mentioned it before it's like they're already taking it down it's not even october and i'm seeing the kind of the hollywood stuff fading out a little bit and um things like they want to skip over thanksgiving in the fall and just go straight into christmas it's like no 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 hold it hold 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 on hold on what happened to you know the, remember this was this is i want to say you know for all of us human beings that you know this was end of summer go back to school whether you were in school or your children were in school or whatever then it was labor day and then it, that kicked off the home stretch of the year and you had of course um that back to school thing labor day little break and then it was like okay halloween uh you know if you're gonna get a costume or what were you gonna do or putting up decorations like i did and yeah you knew that you had thanksgiving in the fall and everything and christmas down the road but it was like you enjoyed this rhythm of how these last the last quarter of the year would play out um and it's like come on you know i know about commercialism i get it but you know it's like it robs the it robs us of basically savoring or enjoying and believe me and, and you know more than ever you my, my opinion now more than ever i think we need it with all the crazy stuff that's been going on for the last 18 months i think we need it i think we need to slow down a little bit and when i mean enjoy it whether i'm not even talking to parties just hey putting up a decoration you know living in that moment of you know whatever um you know and if you want to call it nostalgia okay call it nostalgia okay but not all nostalgia is bad or misleading it's sometimes it's a good thing to have uh especially when you're trying to write yourself and things are very fluid like it is now just to be able to say you know what um i'm gonna do this for halloween or when I would get this costume or I'm going to decorate my house or, you know, maybe I'm going to have the neighborhood kids over. Let's say if you've got children, you know, things like that, that, you know, I remember this was commonplace, you know, different for different people, but it was commonplace. And um, even now into October, people would start making plans for Thanksgiving and Christmas, if they were going to have family, if they were going to bring family over, um, God, I, I even know people that in October, they would, if they were going to have family over for the holidays, they would start sprucing up their place in October. You know, uh, it was this whole thing that people, I don't know, that made sense. It was the end of the year and everybody looked forward to it. If you know, you were working a lot of days off, uh, you know, holidays, you know, maybe you even scheduled your vacation time. Um, so so much of this i want i want to say um and this is not to be in denial of what's going on presently but it was great because it's it was a rhythm that i say everybody enjoyed and had their own version of it depending on who you were what was going on in your life etc cetera, etc cetera. but you know maybe this is why i'm going over the you know the, I'm, I'm getting all carried away with <laughs> with my halloween decorations i even put up i i even got these lights that are like orange and purple 
you know, like I've, I'm even doing the, I've never even done that, that, you know, usually you reserve like Christmas lights for Christmas time while I'm doing Halloween lights and, you know, things like that. Because I think, I don't think I'm the only one that um, kind of wants that back a little bit to feel that back in, in the, amidst so much change and turmoil and God knows you don't know what's coming next. So that, yeah, everybody asks me that, that's what I've been doing. And um, let me let me talk to you about my sponsor. My sponsor is Freethinker Projects. Uh, they provide services for RVers, for people that are into the nomad lifestyle. They're Florida-based, which means if you need to keep a, a permanent address here in the state of Florida for residency purposes, they can help you out with that. They have an actual permanent address. This is not a PO box. This is not one of these mail places. This is an actual physical address. Uh, they do provide virtual mailbox service, which means any mail that they receive for you, depending on what you ask them to do, they could scan the, out, the outside of the envelope. If you need them to open it and scan the contents, uh, forward it to you if that's what you want. If you want it to be shredded, same thing with packages. You know, if you've got any packages, important stuff, they can either, you know, receive it for you, hold on to it for you so you could go pick it up. Uh, and you know, a lot of people sometimes have concerns because if they don't spend that much time away, that even if you're not a person that's traveling, but you just do not want to have certain packages left on your doorstep because you're afraid somebody's going to rob them. This is a good alternative. They also have online notary services, which means that if you need to get something notarized anywhere in the country, you can do it online via computer. Also, they uh, provide registered agent services for any corporation established in the state of Florida very uh, inexpensively i believe for 35 dollars a year which is a great price and as far as the virtual mailbox services i believe they start only at nine dollars and 99 cents a month that is great for somebody to receive mail forward mail for you and forward it and etc that's a great price but anyway if you need to check them out go to freethinkerprojects with an s at the end dot com freethinkerprojects.com okay now let's get on to the good part the good part is a gentleman that I've had here before. His name is Robert W. Sullivan IV, and he's a Freemason, a philosopher, historian, an antiquarian, a jurist, a lay theologian, a writer, a mystic, a radio TV personality, showman, best-selling author, CEO, and lawyer. Um, he joined Amicable St. John's Lodge Number 25 in Baltimore, Maryland in 1997 and became a 32nd degree Scottish Rite Freemason in 1999, the Valley of Baltimore, Orient of Maryland. He has several books, most of them dealing, but now most of them dealing with Hollywood, occult symbology, things of that nature. And in the spring of this year, he released his fifth book called Cinema Symbolism Number no. 3, The Mysteries of Occult Hollywood Unveiled. He's been on several uh, radio shows like Coast to Coast AM, John B. Wells, Arc Midnight and Caravan to Midnight. And he made his debut on the History Channel on the Curse of Oak Island, Drilling Down, Oak Island and the Founding Fathers, which was released in May of 2020. And he returned to the History Channel the fall of 2020 on Beyond Oak Island. And um, I'm going to be bringing uh, Rob on in just a minute. We got cut off as the first part. So, but just very little. But uh, it's a great show. Betty Davis is the best example. She had the nickname the Fourth Warner, and when she signed with Warners, they would sign her to a contract where she would have to make an exclusive contract, where she would basically have to make like ten movies for them, 
but couldn't go anywhere else. Modern day, I don't really get into it in the books. I mean, it is it is a fascinating part of Hollywood's history. But I mean, like I said, this lingered on even today with, you know, the talk shows and things like that, where, you know, if, if you went on one, you couldn't go on another and things like that. Um, you know, and it's just it's just Hollywood. It's just the way it is. It's the you know, it's Tinseltown. It's the entertainment capital of the world. And right. I mean, you know, they have power and they use it. Right. And, and people don't realize that, like even like you said, back then, you know, especially if you were an ins- aspiring actor or actress and you got, you know, you you got a contract with one of these big uh, film studios, you like, okay, you know, because this was your big break. So you basically signed over everything. Like you said, they owned you like stock and barrel where you could only make movies for them. And that was that. Um, And then of course, you know, things changed and, uh, but yeah, I, I, I've heard of even a lot of them after a while wanting to break away and they couldn't and, you know. Right. But you remember the, the audience, you probably remember this in the 1990s. I mean, like I said, this is, you know, well, I say recent history, it's 30 years ago now, but um, I mean, if you remember Warner Brothers, Warner Records had Prince under contract for such an agreement. I remember that, he, had, yes. he, he had to make records for them. He didn't want to do it anymore. And if you remember in the mid 90s, he changed his name to a symbol of all things. Yes. That little, that little hieroglyph. And he did that to. Yeah, he was formerly known as Prince. Yeah, for Warner, with Warner Brothers, he did that to get out of his contract. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is this has been going on on for years, and uh, today it's much more liberal. I mean, you know, you you can move around from studio to studio. Mm-hmm. That that's pretty much ended. Um, but you know, I mean, you you know, you will still have this little petty infighting going on from time to time. You know, you know, it, it definitely happens. Um, but like I said, you know, you're dealing with these studios who wield enormous power. I mean, they're worth billions of dollars. Uh, that's an understatement. And, uh, you know, when you have that kind of money and you have that kind of influence um, and you have that kind of power, you can certainly wield it. Let me ask you, because I don't think, I don't want to say, I don't think Hollywood, like I said, I know it was like a really unusual film. They never had to worry about what the what was going to happen with that film outside of the United States. Do you see what I'm saying? Because it was like, we filmed it. It's great. It's an American film and it's going to get pushed out. But now it seems like, like the audience, it's the worldwide where like you know, you could not be accepted into certain countries, you know, as far as filming. And uh, it, it, I want to say in, in some moments, they even cater to it, you know, well, because it, of the audience size. Well, the, the, the Hollywood is filmed globally. Um, you know, Hollywood films are filmed all yeah. over the world. Um, the, the global market has changed in the last 20 years because of the entry of China, because of, China, you know, I mean, in, in, in the late 80s and early 90s, when a movie was released, the bulk of the bulk of the box office came from the United States. That's where they made a lot of the money. And then, you know, they, they make some movies overseas in Europe and, you know, you know, places like that. That's where the money came from. And it was usually a portion. I mean, like, so for example, I remember in 1989 when the, the original Batman came out, the one with Nicholson and Michael. Yes, Cooper, I remember that. That movie did exceptionally well. And I, I believe the mm-hmm. box office hall at the end of the day for the United States was around 200 million, which back in 1989 was huge. Yes. And I believe it's it's global hall with Europe was Europe was around fifty million, which was also very good. Nowadays, this is reversed. Um, th- this is this is um, not true. If, if if you look at the numbers, so we could take on a movie like Cruella, for example. Um, right. This movie, I think, made domestically here in the United States around one hundred and forty million, which is very good. But then it mm-hmm. made it, it made globally around one hundred and seventy million. It made more, and the reason for yeah. that is is because of China. I mean, it has a billion people. Um, that's right. why 
you know, that that's why China is such a lucrative market to Hollywood and that Hollywood will cater to them. Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, we're going to make sure that we could show that this film is going to be shown. Yeah, right. I mean, I mean, like I said, you're not going to see Hollywood making movies praising the Dalai Lama because they know what they're doing. <laughs> because I'm it's like, being, forget it. I mean, yeah. I know it sounds funny, but I'm being deadly serious. No, 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 you know, absolutely. You know, yes. I mean, I'm, you know, it's, 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 they will not make that. Um, and, you know, because they know it will not be shown in China. So it's a very powerful market. And, um, you know, marketing, I mean, again, marketing with Hollywood is very, you know, I mean, is the bread and butter. I mean, you're making a movie. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, you're making these movies, these entertainments to make money, to generate yeah, revenue. Um, so they want to make as much as they can. And uh, that's why they have these marketing plans and they do this and they do that. And, um, you know, it's it's a very powerful, you know, like I said, I think I called it in the uh, book, I kind of was joking. I called it the, you know, the military industrial entertainment complex because that's uh, pretty much what it is. Let me ask you just, and, and this I might be reading something, is there something symbolic or because you're so good at this about the spate of superhero movies that have come out in what the last 10 years that it's like, okay, so everybody's a superhero. I don't know. Um, I, I, to be brutally honest with you, and I've, I've, uh, I've gone on other shows and, and gone into this before. Um, when it comes to superheroes, I am much more a fan of the DC universe. I, I'm not mm -hmm. a fan of the Marvel verse, so I don't watch them. So I haven't seen any of the Marvel movies. Okay. Um, it just has to do with growing up as a kid. I was always drawn to the, the DC heroes and villains, not the Marvel right. characters. So I, I really, I, one thing I never do is I never comment on a movie I haven't seen. I'm not putting it down or anything. I just never seen any of it. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if, if there, it has, I mean, you can definitely find in Hollywood in time where movies are reflecting the society, uh, you know, the, the, the social error as it were. Um, okay. You know, I mean, clearly, you know, in the 1950s, you know, with the advent of the Cold War, or I mean, you clearly have the space, the invasion movie, as it were, the space alien, which is obviously the red threat. And then you mm -hmm. have the, the, the giant bug movie, the Godzilla movies, which ties into that also, which is the proliferation of nuclear weapons and, you know, the radiation and, you know, you, you, these giant spider movies, them, the giant bee movie, the giant, you know, the giant insect movie. Mm -hmm. um, that you have in the 1950s. So you have, you know, the, the whole, the whole, you know, the space alien movie, the invasion movie. I mean, it's always kind of the same thing, you know, you know, the, the benevolent, the benevolent alien comes down from his socialist utopia to explain to the earthling, earthlings how they have to stop engaging in tribal warfare and polluting the environment. Exactly and right. Call, call it the Michael Rennie approach. Yes. Um, and then, of course, you and like I said, the side effect is the proliferation of nuclear weapons, and this is the giant insect movie. And then also another one is the, um, and this is something that I, I really pointed out in the third book, and I, I, I kind of it was always in the back of my head, but I really started looking at it, and I, 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 you know, I think it's an appropriate subject matter for your show because I do believe that somewhat this part comes out of the supernatural, and that is that you had in the turn of the millennium in the late '90s, you do have this slate of Gnostic sort of coming to consciousness films being released. I do not think this was planned. I do not think Hollywood execs were sitting around saying, oh, let's do this. Mm -hmm. This seems to me to be much more supernatural where you had these films dealing with enlightenment, coming to self-realization, to know thyself, right. coming to consciousness. I mean, it's the same slate of these Gnostic films that I always wind up talking about, The Matrix, The Truman Show, Fight Club, 
Donnie Darko, Existence, um, Vanilla mm -hmm. Sky, movies like that, that all have these strong Gnostic undercurrents in it. Whether this has to do, and a lot of these also, you know, portent 9-11 also. And I mean, is this the change of the millennium, the age of Pisces to Aquarius? You know, I don't know, but it seems definitely to be coming out of the supernatural realm than there being a human hand involved with it. Right. And, and I remember when Y2K was coming on the horizon and I mean, they had a, those films, what was it, Armageddon? They had a couple of them that coming out, which were, of course, you know, World's End, uh, that kind of thing uh, that looking back at it now, you go, boy, that was overdone. But yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's the, the the Gnostic ones are much more interesting to me because that has to do with self-realization. I mean, that's what you've had going on in the last 20 years is people becoming aware of this material much more, you know, on, on, on a regular basis. And like I said, it's just, you know, you go back in time and I mean, it's 1998, 97, The Matrix, Dark City, The Truman Show, Fight Club, Existence, Vanilla Sky, Donnie Darko, The 13th Floor. I mean, it's this five-year window where all these movies came out and they all predicted 9-11. A lot of them did, not all of them, mm -hmm. in one way or another. And, you know, I, like I said, I just don't know if this had to do with the changeover of the millennium, the, you know, waning age of Pisces, this new coming age of Aquarius. I just found it, I, you know, I just find it quite astounding. And like I said, it, to me, it strikes me as much more supernatural, Marlene, than it does mm -hmm. man-made, at least in my opinion. Well, and, and the reason why also I brought up that thing about the, um, the superheroes is that a lot of the movies before, at least, you had the ordinary person that got something, even, even let's say, Indiana Jones, even though he was like, he was an ordinary man, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, he was an archaeologist and he spoke a lot of languages, but at the end of the day, he didn't have superhero powers, you know? So you always had the, the movies revolved around ordinary people in the sense of they didn't have supernatural or superhero powers. Um, maybe they were more intelligent in certain things. And the movie revolved around whatever the theme was of whether they were a victim of it or they overcame it and or they outsmarted it or whatever. Um, and then that's what I'm saying. When I saw these superheroes, it was like, man, being ordinary is like, to, no, what, no ordinary people around anymore? You know, no uh, characters. Um, well, I always think that's what appealed to Batman with me was that it was just an ordinary guy who was just doing this without the, the you know, advent of you know without mm -hmm. the ability without superheroes without superpowers basically. I think that's what right. made it so appealing to me. Um, and again, when you're dealing with superhero movies in general, you're dealing with really things coming out of you know the psychology of Carl Jung, the shadow self. Uh, the higher and lower self, the, you know, uh, what, what do they call it there? I forget the names of it. Um, it it's escaping me right now, but it's, it's the idea of the higher and the lower self. Um, it has a name, but it's escaping me right now. Um, but no, I, I analyze, um, I took on the Batman films in general in the first book, and I went into the Chris Nolan ones uh, much more in depth. Um, the three Chris Nolan movies, let's see, it was, uh, what was it? Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought they were very well done. The, the third one is the French Revolution. I like that. I thought that was very, very uh, a neat little undercurrent in it. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of certain superhero movies. Like I said, I just never, as a kid, I just never got into the Marvel stuff. Um, so I haven't, I haven't seen any of the Marvel movies. I know people, you know, you know, are astounded to hear that. It was like a, a, 
But I mean, now that you brought up this thing about Batman, you know, of course, you know, the Adam West original character, you know, back in, you know, the first program, he's, he was always seen as a superhero in the sense of a great guy that's fighting the criminals, you know, whatever. And as these, some of these movies come out, sometimes little by little, they start tweaking this character as he's being damaged. He's damaged, of course. You know what I'm saying? And then, of course, as it goes, the Dark Knight, everything is like, yeah, he's damaging. Aren't you glad he, he all he's fighting is the bad guys? But it's almost like there's always this, the, the way he's portrayed is a very dark personality that's been twisted by the death of his parents or the whatever and that that's what spurs him on like his personality and his everything is much darker than what you originally thought of as the original batman the Just, well the uh, adam West, the adam west show was basically like a cartoon right uh, right and, and it was fun i mean it's a fun cartoon yeah. it was really meant to be taken seriously i watched it mm -hmm. as a kid growing up they re-ran it on all the UHF shows, yeah. you know, channels, and I watched it. I mean, it really wasn't until you got into the Tim Burton one where they kind of injected, you know, the dark. You know, I mean, and you're right. I mean, it's a very dark figure. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very grim, you know, sort of fairy tale Batman is. Um, and I always liked it. I thought he had the best villains. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, and again, it can be interpreted, you know, many ways. I mean, the Tim Burton one, the one Nicholson. I don't think it's really aged that well. Um, the second one, the second one with Danny DeVito and Michelle Pfeiffer is more of a Batman yes. name only. It's more of an, a German expressionist film than it is a superhero movie. And then you had the two with Joel Schumacher. The the third one with Val Kimmer is okay because that, that's really kind of reminds that that kind of reminds me of a comic book. I always thought that one was all right. Again, probably none of them have aged well, especially with the Nolan one. And the North Clooney was just atrocious. Um, and and really, it was. I mean, you know, it was really the I mean, I, I think the Chris Nolan ones are fantastic. I mean, I think they are by far and away the best of any of the Batman movies that have ever made are the three Chris okay. Nolan ones. And I love the Joker movie. Um, the the, the last one that um, Phoenix Rivers Joaquin did? Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, that's fantastic. Oh, what? I'm I sorry. I'm, I'm talking about the Dead Brother. Sorry. Yeah, that, that was a kind of a real disturbing movie there. That was like, oh. I took that on in the third book. That was that in Midsommar was... Um, I actually had completed Cinema Symbolism 3 when mm -hmm. in, in January of 2020, the book was pretty much done. And I saw on Blu-ray Joker and Midsommar. And I was so impressed with both those films um, that I kind of put the brakes on. I thought, no, let me go back and incorporate these two movies. And um, both of them took up the analysis of both films was quite extensive. In fact, I think mm -hmm. the analysis for Midsommar was the longest in the book. Um, but no, I love the uh, Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie. I thought that was fantastic. Uh, very, very good movie. And again, you know, um, a lot going on in it. Uh, yes. A multi-layered film. Very good. Right. And it was like, I want to say maybe of all the films, if you want to ever explain who he was or what made him, that was the best film that explained what, why he was the way he was in a way. It was you know, you kind of almost feel sorry for him. It's like that he was a product of certain things, and there you go. Yeah, I, I um, just thought the movie. I just thought the movie was great. It's incredibly dark. Um, I mean, oh, I don't yeah. know if you're aware. I don't know if you're aware of this or not. The Joker's face paint is John Wayne Gacy, the serial killer who murdered 33 children. Yes. Um, that's the uh, face paint, and then the the um, music that's playing when he dances down the step is, steps uh -huh. is by by Gary Glitter. Uh, 
it's it's called Rock and Roll Part Two, more commonly known as the Hay Song. And Gary Glitter's in jail. He's a pedophile. Um, really? So, oh yeah. Oh, so, so when you have when you have the Joker coming out party, you have him wearing John Wayne Gacy's clown makeup, uh, dancing to a song written by a pedophile. Uh, very dark indeed. Well, and also basically what it exposes in the movie was he was a, a victim of child abuse. You know, potential. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, it's a very dark film. It, right. It's a very um, dark film. It's uh, it's a retelling of the Cabinet of Doctor Caligari. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's a very good film. I, I love the I love Joker. I like I said, um, I was so impressed with it that I had to incorporate it. That I actually saw it. The book was pretty much done. And I thought, no, let me do a time out here and put it in. Great film. How Hot do you think film. it compared to what the the portrayal of Heath Ledger? Which oh, you that's know, a great, yeah, that's a great question because I, I thought Heath Ledger was great um, in in The Dark Knight. Um, I mean, it's two different. It's really kind of two different takes on the Joker. I love mm -hmm. both of them. Um, I mean, I think I think those are probably the two best ones of all of them. You could flip a coin as to which one's the best. Um, right. I'm probably. I thought the Heath Ledger Joker was great. I mean, you, you know, it's really kind of with the Joaquin Phoenix Joker was kind of just insane, which I liked. Mm -hmm. And then you had the um, you had the Heath Ledger one, who's more of an anarchist. Who just wanted to yes. tear down society. I like that as well. The they kind of to me now when I look back, and this is why I said before I don't think it aged well. When you look at like Batman '89, that the Nicholson Joker is definitely more reminiscent of Caesar Romero yes. um, than anything else. So that's why I don't think it's aged very well. But boy, yeah, I mean, when it comes to you know pick your favorite Joker, yeah, I mean Heath Ledger and, and uh, Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix, flip a coin, pick take your pick. Uh, they're both fantastic. Yeah, they um, like I said, like I, I mean, obviously they're villains, but what that's I guess that's what I'm saying. That overall, the pictures have progressed of all these different types of superheroes. The hero, everybody is dark, darker, and let me tell you why he's dark. This is you know, and here you go. Whereas before, like you said, it was either cartoonish or it was characters, you know, like things yeah. like that. Uh, you know, like you said, Jack Nicholson in that first movie, he was wearing purple and green outfit and yeah. very trim, and you know, it was very put together for being a it was good Psycho. at the time. Yeah, I mean, it worked. It worked in '89. I mean, it was good for the time. Oh, yeah. I, mm -hmm. yeah, I just don't think it's aged very well. Um, I mean, I, I saw I saw Batman '89 in the theater um, in in the summer of '89, and uh, I very much enjoyed it. That was one of the. I was fortunate enough to have been about 17. Let's see, yeah, I would have been 17 in the summer of '89. So I'm dating myself. And um, oh no. <laughs> yeah, I'll be, yeah, I'm like you, Marlene. My birth month is next month also, so I'll be turning oh, fifty next month. Um, and uh, you know, but but no, that summer, if you remember it, that's considered like the summer of the blockbuster. There were mm -hmm. so many blockbuster movies released in the yes. summer of '89. It was really almost uncanny. Um, I don't think anything ever anything like that has ever happened again. I mean, it was just like every week there was like a blockbuster movie coming yeah. out. I mean, it was like. The, the third Indiana Jones movie, then it was Lethal Weapon yes. 2, then it was Batman 89, and then there was there was like five others. Um, yes. The Abyss, I think, was one of them. Um, yes. it, was just, it was like every week, every two weeks, Hollywood was just like releasing these blockbuster movies, um, and it was just really, really special. I, I don't think anything's ever happened before or after the summer of 89. Really interesting. Well, and it's like back then it was, and I remember that this was when people actually would go to the movies. It was like, well, you're sure. planning, like, let's go see. And you would see the previews, you know, when you're watching the movie and they said the previews, you're like, man, I got to come and see that. Because, wow. Oh, you yeah. Know? I mean, I mean, I mean, it was, um, you know, this was still the age of video. 
Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I remember, I remember the lead up to Batman 89 when that was coming up, there was all kind of buzz before that movie oh, yeah. was released. And I remembered like it was, if you want, you know, obviously there was no internet. And I remember if you wanted to see the trailer for it, like entertainment tonight would be like, you know, like, you know, make sure you tune in. We're going to re-air the Batman trailer. Like, you know, then we're going right. to re-air it again on Friday night. People were just tuning into that show just to watch the Batman trailer. Just that's to watch the trailer. Yes. Yeah. That's how popular it was. And, that's what uh, that's what I'm saying. Those previews, people enjoyed the previews as much as the actual movie because this was how you would see these movies that were coming up. You know, they would say summer of sure. this year or, or Christmas or whatever, and everybody'd be like, "Oh, well, we got to come and see that." And as a matter of fact, I remember even when Jurassic Park came out. I remember I went at midday to get the tickets so I could bring my kids, and it was because we went to see it opening day. Um, sure. That's what I'm saying. It was like a different kind of. Um, same thing with like I remember with the Lord of the Rings. I went and I got the. We went to I went, my kids, my boys were teenagers, and we went to a midnight showing, um, because it was that anticipation. Because these you know movies were great, and now I don't know. It, it, there's still a lot of good movies coming out, but that same buzz, that anticipation. I don't, I don't see it anymore. I guess it's changed a little bit as far as. Well, sure. I don't know because saturated or what. Well, like, like, well, like, like I, you know, with the Batman trailer, I mean, that's the only way you could see it is you'd have to tune into yeah. entertainment tonight, watch it, and either video tape it if you wanted to watch it again. Right, right. I mean, now, now in 2021, I mean, if you want to watch the teaser trailer for Matrix Resurrection, I mean, you can go to YouTube and watch it a thousand times at the click of a mouse. Sure. Um, so, you know, it's, it was different. It was a different era back then. Um, like I said, I, I, you know, I've dated myself. So, you know, but I, I consider myself fortunate. You know, I consider yeah. myself fortunate that I grew up on Silver Age television and, uh, yes. you know, got to see all these shows. And, you know, it was just a different era. Times have changed. It was. It was. And, and, and anybody yeah. that missed it, sorry, you guys, but you did miss something. <laughs> Talk about things like in the span of, you know, what, 30 years changing drastically, 30 or 40 years. Um, in this, this last book that you came out with, uh, Rob, can you give us a, for instance, because... Like I said, I know that Hollywood slowed down. Uh, to me, it seemed like some of the latest movies that came out even before COVID were like very repetitious. There were remakes. It, there was very little original, like this is an original sure. movie, new idea, new storyline. I, I didn't see that that much. Right. Well, we were talking about this before we went live. Um, Hollywood has a penchant for remaking movies and sometimes they do it right and sometimes they do it wrong. Um, one movie that I recall, and I think it came out in the late 90s. Well, I know it came out in the late 90s. It was either 98 or 99. They made a frame-by-frame -frame remake. I believe it was Gus Van Zandt, but don't hold me to that. And it was Psycho. Uh, it was a remake yes. of Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. And the movie, it's terrible. It is absolutely abysmal um, to watch. <laughs> it's, 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 it's basically a frame-by-frame -frame remake. It is completely miscast, and it's just horrible. It, it was a box office bomb. And if you if you try to watch it, you'll just hate it. It's awful. Um, but then, you know, of late in 2018, um, they did a re-envision re of, of Suspiria. I like the ver the first Suspiria, Argento's Suspiria, very much. And I was a little skeptical when this um, movie was released. But I saw it and I liked it very much. I like the, okay. you know, new, new take on Suspiria. I, I've, I'm always, it, it's, when, you, when you're doing a remake, it's, it's really kind of a double-edged sword. It's a damned if you do and damned if you don't. Mm -hmm. And here's why. If you make it frame by frame and you just remake it, people will say, well, why bother? You know, what's, just watch exactly. the original. And, and this is what happened with Psycho. 
But then if you do, if you tweak it, well, then you're going to get criticized also. Well, why did you tweak it? You know, why, why, you know, yeah. you, know you got to stick with the original. Well, you know, like I said, it's a double-edged sword. I like the re remake of Suspiria from 2018. Um, I think Hollywood has released some stuff of late that has, has been original. I mean, I know I, I was telling a friend of mine, I was on another show and we were, we were kind of joking and it's actually coming to fruition. Unfortunately, we, they're talking about remaking The Exorcist. And I was like, you know, please How do you don't. do that? I mean, it's Come like, on. you know, there's nothing wrong with the first one. The first one is fantastic. I mean, it's the greatest, one of the greatest scary movies ever made. Please you better believe it. it. I think that, I think they are tweaking it. I mean, the sequel to it is considered one of the worst movies ever made, but, but Hollywood has made some original stuff. I, like I said, I like the Cruella, um, you know, origin Disney story. I mean, I thought that was good, entertaining. Um, certainly, I, I love horror films, so I love mm -hmm. uh, the two Ari Aster movies, Hereditary and Midsommar. I thought they were fantastic. Um, I like Joker, of course. Um, right. I'm looking forward to the new. I like the um, I like the Halloween 2018 uh, film very much. I'm looking forward to the sequel of that, uh, which is Halloween Kills. I think that comes out this month or next month, okay. I should say, uh, in October. Right. Uh, I'm certainly looking forward to the Matrix, uh, the, the fourth oh, one. Oh yeah, that one. Yeah. So yeah, I mean. It's like anything else in this world, you know, when, when, when Hollywood, I mean, it's somewhat of a subjective. Some people like certain movies and mm -hmm. like others more than others. Uh, um, my father, for example, loves Blade Runner. It's one of his favorite movies. Can't, it's, right. He can't sit through five minutes of The Matrix. Can't stand it. Um, I know some people who love Star Wars. Some people don't like Star Trek. So some of it is just yeah, individual. I know. Taste. I know that some of the, yeah. the, the it, it's yeah. a preference and you know, what your yeah. expectations are. And even like, even it's not, even when you said this thing about Psycho that, you know, they took it and they made like a series. Um, they, 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 it was the same idea, of course, you know, you get the mom and-, and Oh, they did a series. And, yeah, they did a series in the 2000s called Bates Motel. Now that I yeah, love- Yeah, Bates Motel. Yeah, and it was, was pretty interesting. It was not bad at all. Yeah, it no, totally that- It went that, on its own, uh, it had the framework of the movie, but it was like pre a prequel in a sense. Yeah, version. I mean, it was kind of like a it was kind of like a re envision of Psycho. Mm -hmm. I, I I took it on in the book. I have a whole chapter on Psycho and the Bates Motel in Cinema Symbolism Three. Uh, the series was overloaded with uh, little Easter eggs and homages to Hitchcock and all kind of stuff. Uh, um, no, I I was a huge fan of Bates Motel. Let Let me ask you in that you know because as you know that that series was set of course modern times and there's a lot of you know of course you see a lot more. I gotta say background, you know, relationships. We we're talking incest. I mean, it's bad to start themes in there besides him losing, you know, his mind and whatever. What, what were some of those Easter eggs? <laughs> because. Oh, goodness gracious. I'd have, I'd have to pull the book down. Okay. Um, no, no, they, there was, um, if you pay attention to it, the, the, the movie took, they, what they did was they took psycho and they gave you a mm -hmm. backstory. And then the fifth season of Bates Motel kind of brought you up to the events of Psycho. Right, um, exactly. But like you said, they said it in modern times. I mean, if you pay attention, well, if you saw the original, well, if you watched the series Bates Motel, if you, mm -hmm. it's not in every episode, but it's in there. The Norma Bates character, this is Vera Famiga, um, was yes. wearing periwinkle blue all over the place. And if you ever okay. saw Psycho with Hitchcock, you will know that periwinkle blue was Norma's favorite color. In fact, Norman picked oh. the dress out the barrier and remember it was periwinkle blue um okay and, and if you watch bates motel vera is wearing periwinkle blue all the time just about not all the time Same. but a lot you're right right exactly and so, so that was that was a little that was a homage to it um the um oh goodness what some of the other ones the um 
the the when, when in the very first episode um, of Bates Motel, when Norman is sitting by the school bus stop, he's listening to a headset, and on his mm-hmm. headset is a Beethoven symphony. And if you recall in Psycho, when Marion Crane, or it was maybe the sister, was um, going into Norman Bates's house where the mother was, he goes into she goes into Norman's bedroom, and there's a record on the record player, and it was it was Beethoven. It was the same it was the same song that Norman was listening to in Bates Motel. So there's lots of stuff like that, little Easter eggs, little homages, um, things like that. There's a lot of them too. I, I I can't remember them off the top of my head because it was just so many of them. Let me ask you something, Rob. I gotta know. Do you to pick? I imagine by now you're so practiced at it, you get it. Or do you have to see these films over and over and then little by little capture all these little symbolism or things that if the person doesn't know what they're looking at, they just overlook it? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I I cannot do the analysis of these films unless I have it on Blu-ray or DVD. Okay. I mean, I mean, if I see it in a theater, usually I'm going to see it for just for entertainment purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, I might pick up on some themes or something like that. But okay. you can't, you know, I mean, it's some of this stuff is just so well buried and just so, you know, I mean, you, you, it's impossible to, to do in a theater. Like, for example, you could see a license plate um, that's on the set screen for half a second and the license okay. plate number could have some meaning or some kind. I mean, and that's the sort of thing you have to pause it, you know, and look around and things like and that. Then, and then realize. Right. You're not going to be able to do that in a movie theater. And plus, you know, a lot of times when I when I'm making you know, this analysis, I'm making notes. I mean, you can't make notes really in a right. dark computer. So no, for me personally, um, I have to have the movie at my fingertips to really be able to break it down and pick up on all the little details uh, that's, you know, buried in there, assuming there are any, not, not, you know, not every movie does, but many of them do. I mean, I, I know on the cover you have um, this latest version of Beauty and the Beast. Um what what's going on with that? Is it that version, or is it just Beauty and the Beast overall, or was it specifically something they incorporated in this last one? Right, I kind of I kind of did it generally, but I made reference to the um, to the Emma Thompson movie. That one is probably mm-hmm. a little more accurate to the fair to the original fairy tale um, than uh, than the one from 1991. I think the animated one. Um, the the one the fairy tales by and large are very. Um, overloaded with a lot a lot of things going on in them um in a nutshell and beauty of the beast is one of the great examples of it um you're dealing with an inevitably as you are with so much mythology and so many um of the religions and the stories and the archetypals you know images of the world you're dealing with the celestial bodies um the sun the moon the stars the planets things like that and beauty and the beast is no different i mean it's it's in the end like so many of these things a solar astrological astrotheological story regarding the movement of the sun the earth in the winter months emerging in the spring that's what this whole thing is symbolizing many of the fairy tales do this little red riding hood does um you know like for example i mean that's just one of the things i mentioned in there was you know little red riding hood is you know the sun at dawn the female she is cloaked in the robes of the autumn leaves the red gets swallowed by mm-hmm. winter the wolf emerges at the vernal equinox, which is the blonde hair, blue eyed Prince Charming. I mean, this is a theme that is routine in fairy tales um, and mythology right. over and over again. And again, it, it's all, you know, I guess it's the hermetic maxim, right? As above, so below. It's just a retelling of these solar, you know, lunar 
mythologies just rebranded and repackaged. Um, Beauty and the Beast is no different. Um, you can get into it with Cinderella, with Snow White. Um, you will find these esoteric astrological themes um, in all of them. And, and again, with, with some of these um, stories, uh, you're also dealing with um you know in the time frame you're dealing with themes related to the jesuits with the counter-reformation with the idea mm -hmm. of the emerging heroine uh the female um sort of emerging out of the nunnery or the domesticality you know kind of being an independent woman you, you'll mm -hmm. find uh you know you know this theme somewhat pre pre prevalent in, in in the fairy tale um sort of the woman going out on her own as it were so right. yeah i mean you know you're dealing with you're dealing with themes related to that um, I took on um, some of the fairy tales in part two, and uh, I, I, the reason I didn't do Beauty and the Beast was when part two was released, the Emma Thompson movie was just coming out. So I waited and I put that one in uh, part three. So, but, and, but, but what you're telling me is even though these fairy tales were written originally by the authors with that symbology hidden in there for whatever reason, whoever decided to make the movies, did they know what they were doing or did they include them? because they knew what it was it's 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 both um in 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 some they know what they're doing in others it's more of they're just incorporating the story and it's just appearing you know you know as a unconscious mechanism in the beauty and the beast with disney they are completely aware of the solar allegory in fact they change one of the lyrics around to reflect it um so in the beauty and the beast movie they are fully aware of i mean and like i said this isn't you know, these fairy tales are very old. I mean, these go back to yeah, the Brothers yeah. Grimm, Charles Perrault, people like that. Um, so, you know, and a lot of them are based on earlier legends. I mean, what they are are is a retelling. It's the anthropomorphization of the the personification of the sun, the moon, and the stars. And these stories emerge and the meaning is lost. Um, you know, people forget the meaning of it. It's the same thing with the Masonic ritual. They know what the ritual is and they go through it, but the hidden meaning has been lost. And it's the same thing with okay. fairy tales. The stories remain, but what they represent has been forgotten about. And of course, when you study it, you know, and it's like, you know, it's like so much as it is in this world, it's it's the oldest story of them all. It's, you know, light versus darkness, good versus evil, the sun. Right, which is what I was gonna ask you. And, and I mean, I can understand maybe some of these stories that were written sometimes very long time ago where people had to kind of like disguise the theme a little bit because, you know, it, was, it wouldn't have been accepted. But let's say now, let's fast forward now, modern times. Why would why would you need to hide the symbology, or why include it at all? What what's what do you think is the the reason for oh, that? It's it's archetypal. It's 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 you know all the archetypes come from the heavens, um, and it's the human the human subconscious and conscious man, mind can't, mm -hmm. can't help themselves. It's it's I mean it's 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 in all the religions of the world. It's yes. in all the, it's it's in modern day. I mean, it's the same thing over and over again. I mean, Luke Skywalker is the son doing battle with, you know, the dark evil overlord. Harry Potter, mm -hmm. the son doing battle with the dark evil overlord. Frodo Baggins, the son doing battle with the dark evil overlord. Yes. I mean, you, you know, I mean, you can go back. You know, Jesus Christ, the son Apollo yes. doing battle with the dark evil overlord. It's the same thing. It's just this archetypal story that is just ingrained in our conscious and subconscious minds that just keep re-emerging over and over again, just becoming repackaged. Um, so it's there. Um, and, you know, Hollywood continues to exploit it over and over again. Do you, have you ever come across any sim symbology in any movie 
where you thought, man, this is really disturbing. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I mean, I think, I think some of the stuff I mentioned with Joker is pretty horrific. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, you know, I mean, if you really want to look at it, but you know, I mean, I think a lot of the stuff with the, the sort of the movies that came out in the late nineties that seemed to serve as a preamble to nine 11, I think that's mm -hmm. very disturbing, but I don't think it's intentional. Um, I think it's, I mean, it's clearly there because you can see it. So then right. you have to try to account for it, but I think it's pretty disturbing. I mean, especially if it was in one or two movies, you know, I would be, be I'd be more willing to chalk it up to coincidence, but it's not, mm -hmm. it's in lots of movies. And it's especially when you get closer to the event, um, it's quite exactly. astounding. I mean, not, not, I mean, it's remarkable. Um, so it's I, like, I, where, I, where, who, where are they picking up all this information? Whoever, you know, what's their muse that they're coming up with this in their head, they're percolating this. And then, Oh, I think it's supernatural. I think it's coming out yeah. of the realm of the supernatural. I mean, if you want, if you want me to try to document it, it goes back to, I mean, the best way you can try to document it is, you go back to the Greek philosopher Plato, who said the creation is divinity, that when you create something, you are channeling God, you are channeling mm -hmm. this ethereal realm. Um, well, what's a movie? Well, it's a creation. I mean, it's a highly complex creation. You know, when you are doing this, are you somehow subconsciously channeling this ethereal realm and right. making a movie, uh, some sort of prophecy, including, you know, prophetic visions? I mean, that's what it seems to me. Um, I mean, that's the closest thing I can come up with. It's almost like what, what I what I talk about in the books is the theory of uh, the philosophy or theories of Carl Jung, um, who I think is very critical and important to this study, who gets into the ideas of the collective unconscious, that we all that we all have the same unconscious mind. We all have the same mm -hmm. story buried in our subconscious. And um, it's, you know, every one of us has it. It's inherited. We all have this, you know, these same archetypal images in our subconscious mind. And what I said, and I kind of took that and ran with, and I said, okay, well, if, if, if this collective unconscious that Jung is talking about is inherited, could it also be predictive? Could it be somehow prophetic? And that when mm -hmm. you're making a movie, you are unconsciously embedding potentially your work of art with this prophetic vision of some kind. Um, that's what seems to me, that seems to be the most logical explanation, the most rational explanation when it comes to this imagery relating to 9-11 that precedes it, you know, in, in the lead up to it with, with, with movies and TV shows. And like I said to you, like I said, Marlene, if it was one or two things, I'd be the first one to be saying coincidence. But when it's over and over again, I mean, it's all over the place. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it, you just, you're just a well, I mean, as a lawyer, you are well out of the realm of, oh, this is a coincidence. I right. Mean, you what are the odds? Yeah. I mean, you have to start accounting for this. And that's what I try to do in the books is how is to explain it, explain it rationally. Have you, are you familiar, Rob, with this is a, this is an Amazon, uh, you know, that they have their own studios. It's called sure. Utopia. And no. it was, it was, it was produced during 1990 and released like early 2020. If you have a chance, they only put out one season and they canceled it. And I still don't understand why, because you could tell by the ending of the first season that it was left as in there's going to be another season and um, have a look at it because it's incredible that this was done pre COVID because basically part of what it talks about is exactly what happened. You know, you, I hadn't, I hadn't seen it. And somebody said, Hey, watch this. I was looking at, it, I was like, what? And then I looked up, when did they make this? It's, if you have a chance, look at it. It's very well made. It's a very interesting, it's got like uh, it's one season. I want to say it's got maybe eight, eight or nine episodes, something like that for the first season. Um, well, I mean, it was it, like, it, what? 
it's it's not it's not only 9/11 in that. I mean, you can go back to um, I think it was in the 2000s. There was an episode of a TV show on Comedy Central called The Legends of Chamberlain Heights that has Kobe Bryant dying in a helicopter crash. What um, I had never heard of that. The, the 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 movie The China Syndrome, which is about a nuclear reactor melting down, was released two two weeks before Three Mile Island. I so, you yeah, know what I remember that 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 yeah. it, it, you know when you like you're saying how close things are tied together that was I remember that incident. Sure, everybody so was I. like, "What?" <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it, you could you could find this. You know, I mean, it's 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 astounding. Um, you know, the examples of this. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's. Like I said, it's one of the things that I try to account for um, in, in the book. It's something I definitely talk Especially about. Especially when you see, like you said, you see a grouping of productions that all have that theme, I imagine, or that press, that they somehow or other, like you said, how, how can it be? Like if it was one or two, maybe, well, okay, maybe they just got lucky and they, whatever, they picked up on, you know, they just made some movie that, look what happened. But then when you get that group of them that... Um, that you're thinking they're they were all how can i say picking up from the same source how's that somehow or other? yeah i mean, I mean you, you could write a book about the stuff leading up to 9 11. um i mean you you could literally probably i could probably do a book on that alone it's it's so it's so many things and that just can't be accounted for and just are defy any rational explanation so well you know, you know like I, I mean, I definitely, I think it comes out of the realm of the supernatural. You know what? The other day I was watching, you remember that Stephen King, it was a big book and a big, The Stand. When did that come out? Was it in the 90s? I want to say it was well, the in the book 90s. Came out in, the book came out in the 70s, I believe. And right. there was a made for TV. I think it's been released yes. a couple of times. Right. I think the original one came out in the, in the mid 90s, I want to say. And uh, the subject matter basically is same thing, you know, a, a huge scourge pestilence kills everybody and then the survivors and then like you said the good and evil is basically what comes into and i hadn't seen the old one with gary sinise this is i, I think it, i want to say it was made for tv i hadn't yeah, seen it was, in a long time that and i started watching like it yeah and it's really funny because when you look at it with different eyes post now what we've gone through i was looking at it and i was like wow you know this is wow you know, it's obviously things are not as drastic as that, but the theme being, it was like, uh, in other words, that uh, how things change and the the and then of course, you know, because of course Stephen King wrote it, you know, there's, you know, the supernatural, you know, element uh, writing behind, you know, weaving its way through everything and manipulation of humans and things like that. But uh, yeah, it's it's incredible when you look at things now with different eyes. Even if it's an older movie, you you see things differently. You interpret it differently. How's that? Sure. You know, I mean, like I said, the, the that's a little too far away from COVID. I mean, you're dealing with 30, 40 years. Yeah. So, you know, it's probably too removed. The stuff with 9-11 is the same year. I mean, it, it, it's, it's uncanny, uh, some of the things going on with that, that is just really astounding. Like I said, I could do a book just on that alone. Maybe in the next book, I'll do a chapter on 9-11 only, which is some of the stuff going on. I mean, I talk about it in all the books, but it, it really it really was, uh, you know, quite astounding. But like I said, you know, I mean, that's what makes things like the China syndrome so strange. It makes it so strange. It's it's right at the event. Um, I mean, you could go back in time and, you know, like I said, you know, with 9-11, you can look at movies like Escape from New York, where they crash a plane in the lower. Yes. Movie. But the, but the movie's 20, you know, it's 20 years beforehand. So, 
you know you kind of have to disqualify right. that because it's too far removed um but no doubt when you when you get into that three-year time frame 1996 97 up to 2001 i mean you really are well, the thing is, with a lot of stuff. and i think if anybody's got understands this is that some of these movies that we see they kind of form the sub go into the subconscious of people and the general public at large as you're an adult and you know as far as um let's say pestilence let's say this thing that came out with the zombies you know all of a sudden everything was zombies and you know the zombie thing was because of uh basically a virus you know it, but you know it kind of embeds itself i think in our subconscious mind our collective subconscious as to what to expect because all these things portray that every everything gets decimated everybody gets decimated um and of course it's horrific and um when you see this it's like um is it you know are these people producing what's a generalized fear amongst everybody just because it is or were they picking up on something that was yet to play out uh not exactly because obviously we don't have any zombies running around but at the same time it's uh i don't know what where's that source are they drawing from something that was coming down the pike or is just like oh okay i know what scares people so i'm gonna make a story about it you know. Yeah, it's it's if it's just general, I really don't go into that. I'm looking really for more specific examples that are like right at the time. That's the stuff that interests me. If something that happened 30 years ago and that turned up 30 years later, that doesn't interest me. So what do you think, Rob? I mean, like I said, we were talking about, you know, Hollywood basically shut down some of its studios because they couldn't film. And some of the films that are coming up, I'm looking forward to like the Matrix one. Absolutely. I want to yeah. see that um you know there's a couple that is like man i, I i'm gonna go to see this i'm not gonna wait for you know how eventually you know it's gonna show up and you could you know stream it at home um right yeah there's some i want to see that are coming out but um you know i mean what when, when, when last year they kind of delayed everything for the obvious yes. reason um i mean i know coming you know like i said next month is the well next month you know october is the new halloween movie i want to see that i think the matrix mm -hmm. is in um december uh, oh, I know it is. Um, so yeah, no, I'll be I'll be definitely looking forward to to. Right, to you know, it. remember that Christmas time was always the one time where all the big blockbusters would come out. Either the summertime or Christmas was when the big ones were would be coming out. Sure. And um, what do you think? Uh, you know, because it's it's, and I guess my thing is, do you think? some of the symbology and i'm going to say more modern movies do you think that there was any type of um i don't want to say manipulation what was it that we used to call it that they said oh you can't do that anymore the subliminal stuff well you can do subliminal stuff in movies that's not illegal um because you can't do it on tv because it had to do with advertising oh, okay okay so you know like little easter eggs and things like that you can actually do what, what what's actually illegal is it's was for advertising purposes okay. the way to get around that now is it's called product placement where a studio i mean there's a funny story with that where a studio will pay the movie to put their like where the characters drink diet pepsi instead of diet coke right um, that's all allowed there's a funny story with this um and of course it's probably the most famous story relating to product placement in hollywood history and that is when they were filming um et the extraterrestrial the of course the original product was m m's was what the space alien ate and Steven Spielberg was filming it with M&Ms and the movie was probably about halfway, you know, three quarters done. And um, 
it, the, the rumors got back, the whispers got back to M&Ms, uh, to the corporate board saying, you know, there's there's a movie being made where the space alien is eating, um, you know, M&Ms. And, and they act, the story is they actually went onto the set, the executives, and said to Steven Spielberg, space aliens don't eat our product. Humans eat oh. our product. Pull it. You know, we don't want M&Ms in your stupid space alien movie. And um, he said, okay. And they, he pulled M&Ms out. He had to go back and reshoot the scenes. And he went to Reese's and said, can we mm-hmm. use Reese's Pieces? And, of course, they said, yeah, you know, we can, we don't care. Knock yourself out. And the rest is history. Um, you know, I imagine I mean, somebody, somebody's head had to, got to roll over that decision. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, of course, that movie essentially put Reese's Pieces on the planet, mm-hmm. on, you know, on, on the, you know. And uh, but that's a true story. Uh, that's a true story. Yeah. So, no, um, you know, Holly, you know, when it comes to putting products in, uh, films and TV shows, it's not anymore. Um, you know, they don't do it. They don't have to do it subliminally. They just, you know, pay the studio. Right, they put it in there. Now the it's thing. like, yeah. yeah. Now it's like, yeah, especially if they if they expect that it's going to be a blockbuster, they're going to be like, let me ask you, um, are you familiar with the uh, the John Wick movies with Keanu Reeves? No, no I'm not. No, I, don't, I haven't seen them. Okay, and the reason why I was asking is that one of the, I want to say the theme underlying, it's there's been three films and there's going to be a fourth one. And I think it took off, you know, when they do these, one of these films, these action films that actually is great. And they just, so far they've been, they've been, personally, I like them all. But one of the themes is this, um, they separate themselves from technology. Uh, you know, they, they pay in gold. They, they, they have a, a center where everything is landlines. They're very anti, because of course, well, the, 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 the reason being that they're assassins, you know, so, hey, but there's this very big pushback from technology as far as keeping their privacy, you know, and if you sign, let's say a book, you sign it, you know, you put like a your thumbprint and blood on a contract in a book. In other words, there's no use of computers, no right. emails, nothing like this. Um, and I was wondering, that's why I asked you about that is, you know, is that like a one of those, not anti-technology, but you know how sometimes I think human beings, because we're inundated with technology that is, God, it develops, it seems like every month you get some advancement and something's obsolete that we kind of pull back and we're wanting to go into either the mystery or non-technology. Well, I, I, I can't, I really don't have an answer for you. The only thing I can tell you is, I mean, here is wisdom. I don't maintain any social media. Um, so, you know, I spend very little time on the Internet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, people, you know, I'm not a Luddite or anything like that. I certainly use the Internet. I, you know, use it for my right. books and things like that. But, um, you know, whatever a person wants to do, they can do. You know, I mean, if, you know, right. I don't I don't have any social media. I used to. I got rid of it. And, uh, you know, the only story I, I can only give you my personal experience with this um, when when I lived in England. When I first went to England in 1992, the house that I was living in didn't have a TV set. And of course, within a day, I didn't know what TV was anymore. Um, and it's the same thing with with this. Um, I got rid of my social media back about eight, nine months ago. And within about 30 seconds, I didn't even know what it was anymore. Um, so, you know, that's just me. That's, uh, you know, the only thing I can tell you on it. Um, you know, when you, when you get away from something, you kind of forget about it. At least I do at any rate. Right. Yeah. Uh, this was a few years back. There's a little town here in Florida called Casadega, and it's known because it's been since a bit over the turn of the century. It was a spiritualist camp. But anyway, to have a hotel there 
originally. And people don't realize that they have no TVs in the room. You know, you're always thinking, of course, they're going to have a TV. And I remember the first time I stayed there, I went and you know, when you're looking and it's like, man, what's there's something missing. And then you, I realized there's no TV for a minute. I almost did like a panic thing. Like no TV. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. I can handle this. And then you're right. <laughs> you actually start doing other things. You know, I mean, I've always been a reader and things of this nature. I mean, I don't have a problem, but it was, you know, you get hooked up to that. Well, if I don't have a TV, then what else is there? Surprisingly, there is a lot, but. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no, I've never, I've never been like that. When I got to England, there was no TV. I was like the hell with it and just did other things. Yeah. Well, you know what it is also that I think what sometimes we become like info junkies. And by the way, I do limit myself. I'm not one of these people that are like zoomed in and the same thing with the social media, same thing. I, I cut loose on a lot of my social media stuff. I mean, my family will, hey, if you want to send me a picture of something, you know, fine, but not anymore. You know, there's people that it's like, no, 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 no. That's that's that eats up your time too much. And after a while, it's like, forget it. Um, but um, yeah, we get used to the and, and I remember once upon a time for those people that have been alive for a while, you would uh, basically you watch TV. Maybe if you were a kid on Saturdays and a little bit in the afternoon or maybe in the evening, your the adults would watch the news and some sitcoms and stuff. And then everybody would go to sleep and wake up the next morning to go to work or go to school and that was it and what tv in the house <laughs> that was uh, the norm and nobody felt uh as a matter of fact i remember the first time i think that my mom bought me one of those little black and white little tvs to put in my room and i was like oh wow you know but things have changed dramatically since then so if you have a chance i would love if you could give me if you watch that that series Utopia, because I think you're gonna you're, you're probably catching up catching a lot of stuff that I would never have realized when when you see it, but you you probably will pick up on a lot of stuff. And where what's your website for my podcast listeners so that they can find you? My my um, my website is my name. It's www.robertwsullivanivy.com. Um, my name is Robert W. Sullivan, the fourth, of course, and, uh, that's my name. It's Robert W. Sullivan, Ivy.com. There's links to, um, purchase the books. There's information about me, my upcoming podcasts, um, that I'm doing, uh, shows that I've been on. Once this show has been posted, I will definitely okay. put it on my website, um, links to buy the books. Of course, they're on, uh, all the major online retailers, um, you know, and Barnes and Noble, Amazon, the ebook, the mm -hmm. printing, which you can get either one. So, um, yeah, the easiest way to, you know, you just go to the site, just type in the name of the book or just go to my website. There's links there for all that. www.robertwsullivaniv.com. Terrific. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful to speak to you, Rob. Thank you, Marlene. I look forward to doing it again. Likewise. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, guys. Isn't it wonderful? I love speaking to him. I wish I could have had him on longer, but I know that, you know, sometimes people, they, they got, you know, let's face it around here on the East coast, it's eight 30, you know, you got to, if you know, you, and you, you know, you want to watch TV, you want to sometimes relax, especially if, you know, if you, um, in other words, and by the way, which I approve that, you, you know, we all need to allow ourselves certain downtime, whatever it is, you know, and I'm, I'm very happy that he, that he was able to join us. And um, I mean, his books are fascinating. I'm telling you, 
because he picks up on all of these things that they're right in your face. When he points them out, you're like, yeah, he's God, that is that. And sometimes, you know, I'm going to give us, you know, the regular people a little bit of leeway because sometimes there's things that even if you noticed, even if you saw it, you wouldn't understand what they meant or why they were put there. You know, you, you kind of like, it's like, yeah, I see that, but I don't get it. I don't, you know, that same thing that he was talking about, the archetypes and the colors and the symbology and, you know, some of these things that God, they're basically, they come, they've been around since ancient history. You know, they, 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 you know, pre Judeo Christian and, you know, the symbology is there. And, but uh, other stuff that's more modern, like, you know, that, uh, like he even said that thing about the series of the Bates Motel, how there's a tie in to the original Hitchcock, Hitchcock production of Psycho, where the periwinkle blue thing. Honestly, I, you know, because I've got, of course, we, we take this in, in the broad strokes of the movie, you know, the theme, you know, of course, let's say, let's say you're watching Psycho, you know, here you're being rolled along, which of course, it's a great movie is the suspense, you know, um, the shower scene, the shower scene, uh, you know, uh, the seemingly normal guy who was, a, from what I understand, was based on Ed Gein. Um, and then in the end, of course, the, you know, that basically he's, <clears throat> looks like he's got a split personality and he becomes his mother whenever, whatever happens. <clears throat> so, you know, the, you know, when you see that movie, you, you, you're caught up in all these other things and you don't, you miss altogether all these little things and symbols, <clears throat> excuse me. And what I find sometimes, and this is why I asked them disturbing, um, was that thing like, you know, and I'm sure some of you have heard about, uh, even with children's movies and cartoons. And even he said this thing about Cruella, I said, I hadn't seen this last production of Cruella. <clears throat> which is why put the symbology in it to begin with. I mean, to me is if you want to tell a story, which is like he said, let's say the old fairy tales and maybe the authors of this fairy tale uh, buried the symbology in there because maybe at the times that they were writing them, they had to. Because if they kind of like were a little bit more in your face, it would not forget it. Especially remember, these were supposedly fairy tales for children, even though from what I understand, some of these original versions of these fairy tales were like, this is for a kid. But anyway, but then you say, OK, and then let's let's fast forward to modern times and you get somebody wants to produce a version of that fairy tale. And, you know, and some of them will produce it based on the, the author's original descriptions. And is basically just incorporating all the symbolism in there just because, hey, I this is what the guy said in his story. But then there's others, which is why I asked some others that purposefully do the symbology. And I think to myself, why? Why would you, you know, why would you do that? What is the need for it? You know, while feeding the subconscious. And, and in some cases, you know, some of these um, symbology is can be quite dark. I mean, and by this, I don't mean like what we were talking about, let's say the Joker, you know, like he was talking about this last version, the Joker with 
uh, Joaquin Phoenix, which was really, I mean, let's face it, he was a villain, but this is really dark and uh, it kind of like, you know, let's talk about mental illness and I mean, dark movie. But there's sometimes these movies which supposedly are anything but dark, the theme, the overall initial theme of the movie. That's why I'm saying even the ones that are meant for children, where they put these, how can I say it, these messages that are not have nothing to do with children or childlike, or as a matter of fact, they're quite dark. And that's the part I don't understand. And I wish I could have asked them more about that. Um, because I'm going to give you a perfect example. Let's say that movie that came out from Stanley Kubrick, the one that supposedly people think that he got because he made it, which was eyes wide shut. Okay. Hey, of course there's going to be symbology there. That's expected. It was like, wow. I mean, <laughs> a lot of it didn't have to be, uh, you know, you didn't have to hide it in some, in symbols. It was like, okay. But so you expect it from that type of movie, even though, you know, when you, when you watch it, you know, you're thinking, okay, it's one of these weird films with, uh, you know, whatever. That's different. It was an adult film. You know, of course, there was a flavor of, you know, of uh, pedophilia in there somewhere and all that stuff. But, but the part I can't understand is why they put it into children's films or films that are, how can, what's the word I'm looking for? Family films. How's that? Why do they do that? You know, and then you, you know, you do get some people that will say, well, um, how can I say? Because, you know, there's a lot of themes that you can say, well, it's occult as in hidden, but not necessarily evil. It's just occult, uh, maybe some type of metaphysical underpinnings or meanings or from a certain school of metaphysics but it's not necessarily evil but then you get others that say and i hate to say it hollywood it's a well-deserved reputation that they have for having a lot of evil people running around there and by this when i mean evil i don't mean peculiar and eccentric god knows there's got a lot of those but let's face it you could be a real peculiar eccentric kind of individual but that doesn't mean you're evil you're just peculiar and eccentric and in some cases crazy but again you're not evil just weird whatever um but then you see there's there's there as a matter of fact this 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 undercurrent of evil in some of the themes or the symbology or what it's trying to say that you're like wow and um i think a lot of people now lately have been waking up to a lot of it especially because of what's going on a lot of things that have been exposed where you're thinking why would you do that unless you know you're speaking a language that only some know how to understand. Okay, you know, it's it's seen by those who have eyes to see. The majority of us dumbasses, because I consider myself one of those, don't take offense. We just see it for what it is. We just think of it as entertainment. Or, um, and as a matter of fact, I remember I my first conversation with Rob uh, this was around the time that, uh, I want to say like, uh, show Gotham came out and different than the suicide squad and the first one, the first suicide squad. And I remember asking him, I said, Rob, what's up with, you know, all of a sudden, once upon a time, the villain was the villain. Okay. I can understand where you might 
make him maybe a charming villain, you know, make him more three-dimensional, more interesting, or, you know, uh, a villain, but uh, he just, he was just selfish, whatever, or her, and not always a guy. But lately, I, had, I remember asking him, there seems to be a trend where you want to make the villains the heroes or they're not such a bad guy and, and it's almost like over explaining uh this thing about the villains and like a flip-flop like making almost the villains the heroes even though they're still the villains okay in other words their behavior and uh their personalities and their thought processes are very dark it's like i don't get it and the same thing you get the heroes who were always the ones that were trying to do the right thing. All of a sudden they become damaged individuals um, with all these personalities. In other words, it was like this flip-flop of who's good and who's bad. And by the way, there is no such thing, you know, I can understand where you could say, okay, you know what, this hero is good, but he still has got a tortured path. I don't know, anything. That's, that's different. You know, if you want to make that that hero or that, character more human-like more common more if you i get i get that but there was i've seen this total uh flip-flop of who's good and who's bad and if you're a bad guy or bad girl or whatever you know and you had some bad whatever happened to you when you were youth it almost justifies it Hey, he's a, a soulless psychopath, but God, you know, and I'm going to give you a perfect example. If you all remember the, the, the series of Dexter, by the way, I watched off Dexter and I thought it was very interesting and I like watching Dexter, but if you pull back, you know, you see this guy that's a psychopath, but you know, he only kills other bad psychopaths or whatever, or serial killers. And, you know, and of course, through the theme, you know, as the, as the series unfolds, you find out, you know, that he became the way he was because of a childhood trauma and blah, blah, blah. And I think to myself, you know, it's entertaining because it was just entertaining, but a true psychopath would not kill other psychopaths just for the sake of killing other psychopaths. A psychopath has there is no remorse you know he just he would kill you if you got in his way if you were another psychopath or a serial killer you were going to do something to him he'd get rid of you or try to get rid of you right quick but he wouldn't go out of his way especially to commit a crime like murder just because that's a bad guy come on you see what i'm saying and it's like this this they want i want to say that i saw this um tendency to humanize aberrant human behavior and it's not there's and that that's i think why i have a problem with certain things coming out of hollywood because if it's aberrant human behavior it should always be um categorizes that if you want to put you know look this is what happened this child underwent these horrific experiences as a child etc cetera, etc cetera. and the product was the society suffered for it because when he became an adult he did these horrible deeds, killed people. I'm on, I'm with that because believe me, I understand that concept. As a matter of fact, I think it's great because, you know, of course it, the, the background theme to that is that our responsibilities as parents and as adults towards children and what happens to them till they become adults. 
but the thing of somehow making the what that um, scourge on society, let's call it what it is, to make it acceptable or admirable or wow, I'm sorry, I have a problem with that. And I think that that's one of the things I think that a lot of people sometimes got disappointed with Hollywood because it's almost like, you know, you guys kind of, for lack of a better word, have a responsibility towards the rest of the people who watch this as entertainment. Because basically you're feeding that to us and that becomes circulated into our subconscious mind as what's acceptable, not acceptable. And even with our kids as they're growing up, um, because, you know, you would say in a, in a, in a perfect world, you know, your parents are going to teach you right and wrong. And this is, you can do that and you can't do this and boundaries and all that stuff about good parenting. But let's face it, you know, not every child or human is in a perfect childhood situation where you've got an adult or a parent, hopefully that's, or parents guiding you and saying, no, you can't do that. You can't say that. That's not right. Uh, whatever, you know, and then, and then you become an adult and, but even though you might, you know, when teenagers, but eventually you come out okay on the other end. But you think how much of what our kids or our future adults, and even as adults, I want to say, that see this and say, oh, it's okay. It's, I saw it on the TV and it's not like one show. It's like multiples. And I, I, I do because I, I guess, and I think a lot of people realize really how much, um, what's the word I'm looking for? How much power the entertainment industry has um, into what we see, okay? Or what we, and I guess what I'm trying to say is, and I'm not going to say everybody does this, but you know, you, you, I'm sure people have heard about sometimes kids or teenagers doing horrific things because they saw it in the TV show, which by the way, I'm sorry, I beg to differ. I, that, that child obviously had to have some type of behavior, mental disorder already cooking in there. Uh, because I, I saw a lot of stuff when, you know, when you're a kid, you see cartoons. I remember seeing Johnny Quest. They were firing rifles at people. I never, there was a very clear delineation in my head. That's fantasy. That's a cartoon. I could never go out and, you know, do that. But still, it's almost like, you know, the, the, the thing is there of who's watching this, who's taking this in that can't differentiate eventually, especially when it's put out over and over and over again, that that's not reality. Well, that's not really good. Or eventually that behavior will hurt me contrary to what you see in the show where, you know, the protagonist is saved at the last minute, or even if they get in trouble, you know, because of course, since they're a protagonist, eventually they're going to escape or get out of it or somehow or other, it'll be romanticized, you know? And I think a lot of people have found themselves in those circumstances and go, okay, so, Hey, I didn't see this part in the show where I'm sitting in a jail cell or, you know, um, hey, this was supposed to be, uh, I was supposed to, you know, it's like, I never saw this part where like, man, I wish I was at home watching TV kind of deal. Yeah. You know, what was it that Louis Lamour said? Adventure is a romantic name for trouble. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of deal. It's like, 
But anyway, guys, I, I'm going to have a link to Rob's website on the credits of the show. Please, I urge you to go in if you want to look at any of his other books, on the, any projects that he's got coming up. Let me tell you, it's, it's a real eye-opener when you look at what he writes about, a real eye-opener. Um, and, of course, I want you to come back next week because I have some fantastic guests coming up. Great, 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 great guests coming up. Um, and you know, like everything else, um, I'm hoping, you know, that, uh, amid all the crazy stuff, my show kind of like gives you a little while, like let's, let's, let's break with reality. Shall we let's, let's watch Marlene interview somebody about some, you know, interesting esoteric metaphysical, supernatural, weird stuff. And, you know, let's, and then we'll get back to reality, but we'll suspend reality for a little bit, a little bit of entertainment. Um, you know, from, and by the way, I'm, I, I don't advocate for people like burying their heads in the sand. No, no, no. But I do think that especially with all the crazy stuff that's been going on, we always need to take time off, especially on a daily basis to like align ourselves to, so that we could keep operating, um, within whatever it is that we need to do. And God knows our realities have been shifting. <laughs> I mean, that's an understatement. Let's leave it at that. Um, and just to, um, you know, a little, a little downtime is what I call it. Um, and by the way, because, you know, I've had a lot of people contact me, you know, like I said, crazy stuff. I do have another channel. It's called hypnosis-diy.com. And I have, uh, here on YouTube, some videos that if you need, uh, it's guided meditations to sleep, deep sleep um things of that nature go check it out okay uh, because you know it's one of the things i learned as a hypnotist uh as far as uh to keep functioning despite whatever might be going on during your waking hours is to be able to sleep and sleep deeply by the way because there is a there's a quality of sleep you could look at somebody and say oh they're sleeping but they're not not really not not they've gone they haven't gone into rem level and you suffer for it you suffer for it. So if any of you feel like, man, I'm, you know, my mind is not shutting down um, or I go to sleep, but then I wake up in the middle of the night and then I have, you know, I start doing my to-do list or whatever's going on with you, go to hypnosis-diy.com. You can find my website or you can find me here on YouTube under that name. And like I said, I have videos there. I have some ones that are like the rain falling in the jungle. If you like that, you know, if you if you kind of need that audio um, backdrop to go to sleep and to stay asleep, I've got some like that. And then I've got others that will basically uh, relax you and put you into a deep sleep. And by the way, uh, it speaks to your subconscious mind telling you to like go to sleep. And, you know, because you can't solve anything. You, you know, th th I want to say one of two things. And this is, I think, a lot of people where they suffer from insomnia or things like this. When it's time for sleep, you can't do both. The time that you need to sleep, you need to sleep. Your body, your brain needs to sleep. Okay. You need it. You can't, you know, and I know a lot of people say, well, you know what, mommy, when I'm in bed and I get up and I can't sleep, I, I can't help it. You know, but the nine times out of 10, a lot of people, what they're doing is they're worried or trying, they're, they're anticipating or trying to solve problems. 
Okay. In your mind, you know, like if you have a saw, one of those electric saws, and it never turns off, it's always, you, you can't do that to yourself. Okay. Because even the sleep you got, probably the quality was bad. Okay. That's the, that's the number one thing. You need to sleep. But another important thing about going into REM sleep, talking about symbols, your brain talks to you in symbols. And sometimes going down into that REM sleep is what allows your brain to speak, your subconscious mind to speak to you and sometimes give you solutions to what is what you're worried about or wondering about or anticipating or whatever. Once you go into that REM sleep, your brain basically clears out what you've been doing during the day. And if you've got this thing going on, it talks to you in symbols or it gives you a dream. Or sometimes you even wake up and all of a sudden this thing comes into your head and you're like, Hey, now I understand. Oh, I remember. Or, But you, you, in order to let that part of your subconscious help you out, you need to sleep. And you need to go down to a deep level of sleep as in going into REM. Going back to my original point, if you need that, go to my channel, my other channel. Come back next week. I'm going to have some great guests on. Again, um, I'm going to have a link here for my newsletter. Um, if you want to sign up for it and, uh, I know this is probably, I'm trying to think, I know it's a little bit staggered. I, oh, I'm going to put it out anyway, you know, that I am going to do a live stream for, on Halloween night, October 31st, 2021. I am going to do a live stream, me and my hubby. He's my wingman. We're going to do a live Halloween and, uh, if anybody, you know, I'll probably have a phone number so people can text over questions or the chat or whatever. And we'll just talk about paranormal chit chat, whatever. Oh, God knows there's enough there to talk about. So again, guys, don't forget, if you want to listen to any podcast version of this show of or my podcast series, you can go to my website. There's links there, not, not only to take you to a certain podcast platform, but if you want to listen to it without commercial interruptions, I've got the actual podcast versions on my website. You can do one of two things. You can either click it, listen to it on the browser, or you can download the MP3 file and then listen to it whenever you like. And again, this is for people that, hey, I don't want to be interrupted. I don't want to hear the, the, the advertising. Once it goes on the podcast platforms, whatever they are, you know that you're going to get the interruptions uh, because that's the way it works. So anyway, guys, take care. And again, thank you so much for being part of my audience. See you soon.